The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Tim Seymour, Jeff Mills, Dan Nathan, and Steve Grasso. Tonight on Fast, gas prices keep spiking. The national average, 4.33 a gallon, a record high. Russian sanctions seem like they are here to stay. So what happens next to the consumer and consumer stocks, plus charting a major losing streak for the home builders? Will a rising rate environment nail these stocks to the floor? Is now the time to build a foundation in these names? And a mystery chart of the week. Here's a hint. This name has harvested double-digit gains while the rest of the S&P was down for the week. We start off with a spring-like day here in New York City. By the middle of next week, we'll be in the 60s. Nice and warm. But for the market, it still seems like we are in the heart of winter and tech is frozen. Over 40 percent of the Nasdaq stocks are down at least 50 percent from their highs. Check out these massive drops from the likes of DocuSign, Zoom, Meta, even Netflix. The Titans also tumbling. Amazon down 22 percent from its peak. Microsoft up 19 percent. Apple falling over 15 percent. So is a spring thaw ahead or sticking with the frozen reference? Do investors just need to let it go? and give up some of these beaten down names. Dan, I'll go to you first. I mean, it's one thing if a pocket of the market, which were initially the the high growth, um, high valuation innovation names were getting beat up. But when it's getting to mega cap tech, that's a different story. Yeah, I think, Mel, it's really hard for a lot of investors who really believe in some of these secular stories, some of these management, some of the companies, the products, the services, and the trajectory that these uh, technologies are on. So when you see, you know, the disconnect between the price action and what you think the forward fundamentals are, it's really hard, right? And you just gave us the stats about what the NASDAQ looks like under the hood, and it's not pretty. And we've been saying this for a while. For all intents and purposes, large parts of the stock market have crashed. So now what I think investors have to do if they're thinking about letting go of some of these big losers is think about where we are. Are we going to have the sort of V reversal that we had in Q1 into Q2 of 2020? And I think not, largely because at the time the Fed was throwing, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars of monetary stimulus that was going to be followed by hundreds of billions of dollars that ended up being trillions of dollars of fiscal stimulus. What's going on now is the Fed is actually tightening policy. And so these valuations don't look good. And then we have, as Mike Wilson said on the show last night, we have this kind of you know demand kind of snapback, if you will, from the pandemic. So I just think it's a really bad setup to try to pick bottoms. But I'll make one point. From the highs in 2000 in the NASDAQ to the lows in late 2002. We know what happened. We saw, you know, 70, 80 percent drawdown in the index. Many of the stocks were down as much. But as Jim Cramer likes to say, there's a bull market everywhere. There were three 40 um, percent plus rallies during that period. So there will be bull markets. And if you're nimble, you can catch them right now. Seems like a really bad time to try to do that. But we are on the precipice probably of a very sharp rally very soon. At least two of you today, maybe three of you guys, hmm. were were tweeting about Apple's 200-day moving average. The notion being that once it breaks that, it could be trouble um, 
below, Tim. Um, are we are we just holding our breath, waiting to see if Apple hangs in there at this point? Well, I mean, App, and Apple may be Olaf in the frozen story here because, I mean, it, it's he, he, he's been the one happy player in all this. And it's a case where if you look at Apple where he closed today, I think, you know, a buck over the 200 day. Apple hasn't spent a lot of time below the 200 day in in a couple of years. And so if you think about we've been saying this, the, the, the weakening of Apple, the weakening of four or five stocks uh, actually would be consistent then with a follow through from higher quality stuff, which is uh, on some level, it's almost like let, let's get on with it, because I, I think we have had a crash. There's no question about it. You know, we're going to talk about the K-Web. That's down 70 percent. Five of the biggest tech companies in the world. But but all the names that we talked about that are dot com stocks, that are COVID stocks, but even some much more important stocks. We've talked about this with Netflix. So, uh, you know, if you look at the triple Qs, they have underperformed the S&P by about eight and a half percent since January 3rd. If you look at the triple Qs, they've been below the 200 day for the longest period that they have outside of the the COVID dislocation in the lows of March since 2016. Again, so we've been in a tech bull market for a long time with a hiccup around COVID. This should be concerning for people because I think this is at least a gut check. Well, whenever you have a sell off of the market, they always take the largest cap, safest stocks last. Mm-hmm. Apple, Google, Amazon, Microsoft, they took them last, but they, they didn't knock them off, right? So what they did knock off is all the ones that we introduced here, the Zooms, the DocuSigns, the Pelotons. Those are probably never coming back. So other than a gamble, come back. So when I look at it, Facebook, does, does Facebook even know who they are anymore? I don't think so. Wow, it's a rhetorical. I don't think question. so. It's a very deep question know? for a so Friday. I, I, don't, I don't think Facebook knows who they are. Metaverse doesn't know who it is anymore. So how do investors know about whether they should put new money to work? So I think that one is on the precipice of falling out of bed. If I had, I had to put new money to work, it would be Apple. Mm-hmm. It would be Microsoft. But it wouldn't be Meta. Jeff, you were also tweeting about the 200-day moving average in Apple. Is the notion that we have to see that flush in the mega cap tech stocks as well. And how hard of a flush would you say we have to see? Mm. I would imagine it's not not as big as, as let's say, ARK Innovation, which was, what, up, I don't know, it was 70% lower from its highs in February of last year. Yeah, I think there's going to be a difference ultimately between the quality growth stocks and the junk, I'll call it. And I think you are going to see a snapback in growth as we move into the second half of the year. I've been talking about that kind of over and over again, but I think we're seeing this opportunity unfold. I think you want to set your sights, but I don't think you want to pull the trigger. And I think a big part of that is because eventually you are going to see Apple crack. You are going to see Tesla crack, both kind of flirting with the 200-day moving average. To what extent they end up moving to the downside, it's so hard to know. But I did find it interesting. Our friend Chris Verone puts out a market low checklist. So put Apple on that market low checklist. Hasn't broken yet. So that that hasn't checked off the list. Uh, We haven't had a put call ratio in the 99th percentile. We haven't seen spot VIX over 40. You kind of go down the list. And there are all of these things that you might expect to happen uh, in a true correction, in a true bottom. And we haven't seen yet that yet. The last thing I'll say is, you know, we're talking about all these COVID stocks, DocuSign being one of them. But it's a perfect example, right? This is a stock that was trading at 200 times last year. 
but it's got negative return on invested capital, so kind of a nerdy way of saying it's not profitable. Those are the stocks that aren't going to snap back, in my opinion. It's going to be the Googles, NVIDIAs, Microsofts, but then grow stocks outside of tech, too, uh, sort of random names like Public Storage, O'Reilly Automotive. These are stocks that have actually held up pretty well so far, and I think investors are going to move toward them as earnings revisions start to slow down uh, and people really look for companies that are able to grow earnings. That's where you're going to find it. What will help with this flush, Dan? And I'm, I guess what I'm thinking of is, you know, have we already factored in the full extent in terms of earnings revisions downward of the impact of this conflict on, let's say, European markets? Uh, I don't know if, if estimates in the S&P 500 have reflected that yet or even the impact on the consumer here because of higher yeah, input not, costs. Not at all. I know that FactSet has their earnings insight blog that comes out every week, and we've been tracking a little bit about those negative um, revisions, and I don't think we're there yet. Analysts are usually kind of late to do that. They don't have tremendous incentive to get too far um, ahead of it. When you think about some of the issues for multinationals as it relates to a European economy that's likely to go into a recession, especially the longer this Ukraine um, situation lasts, you have a surging dollar because you have a weakening euro. You have input costs all over the place that are just rising here. Um, investors or excuse me, companies are going to have to make a decision whether they're going to pass through some of these costs here. We know that oil higher is going to be a tax or a big tax on the consumer here. So earnings revisions are going to happen. Um, I think the visibility when we start to get Q1 earnings and Q2 guidance um, towards the end of April is going to be uh, as clear as mud here. And that's the thing that you probably see stocks sell off into and maybe come out of once we start seeing the acknowledgement that the growth that is expected in 2022, the reflation trade, because the endemic is not likely to materialize and it's likely to be pushed out to 2023. Speaking of oil as a tax on the consumer, gas prices hit new highs today. A gallon of unleaded now costs 4.33 a gallon. The prices of a gallon of gas now up 89 cents in just the past month. Let's bring in Steve Leisman. And Steve, um, you know, what I wanted to chat about is, is this conversation we started this morning, and that is if the war ends, and we all hope that it does, will sanctions come off? Because that has really been the the pressure here in terms of pushing all of these commodity costs higher across the board. Do we know that there will be relief for the consumer in various economies around the world? Can, can I ask you a question in response, Melissa? Sure. Is, is your hypothetical there, if the war ends, is Putin still in office or not? Oh, okay. I see where you're going here. Let's so, say Putin is still in, still in office. Then the sanctions are not coming off. Most everybody right. I speak to at this point tells me that these sanctions are in place as long as the Putin or Putin regime are in place and that uh, it will not be. An, uh, you look at the number of countries that have had sanctions taken off of them that have not had regime change, and I think it's something like zero. Um, and you know what? We can do sanctions for a very long time. We do sanctions for 40 years or 50 years or whatever long that the political uh, process allows those sanctions to remain in place. So I'm thinking about a reorder of things, reordering of the uh, ability uh, for us to get things from Russia and hopefully not the Ukraine. I hope the uh, hypothetical first part of the question was if the war ends or when the war ends and that Ukraine remains a uh, sovereign nation, that'll relieve at least the food part of this thing and the, uh, the crops part and some other technology, obviously, that we get from Ukraine. Um, and obviously for the Ukrainian people, you can't leave that out. But the idea of Russia being the resource basket, uh, as a commodity basket for the world, I think that may be a long time coming. 
We um, raise this question, and I'm going to bring the traders into the conversation, uh, Tim, because this morning, obviously, there was that headline that moved futures higher. Uh, that was reported that Russian President Vladimir Putin uh, said that there were some positive developments, I'm paraphrasing yep. here, in talks with Ukraine. And we saw futures have a, a snap higher, right? That's the reaction you would imagine. But my question was, snap higher, that's great. We know it's not going to get worse necessarily if the, if the war ends somehow, but will it get any better? So I don't know what we're rallying well, I, I mean, in, in my dream scenario, I, I think if, if, if Putin somehow was removed from the picture, uh, I, I think markets would, would rally. And I think there'd be actually a fair amount of globalization follow through from that. Not permanent, uh, but I do think we've, we, we've, we've rethought globalization. We've rethought about the ability to have uh, certain products travel around the world. I, I, I think the consumer confidence number that we saw today, and, and I, I, I don't know if we've goodbyed the guest yet. Have we no, goodbyed? No, no. Steve, oh, of course. Steve's like, out there. Steve's there. Um, you know, that, that University of Michigan uh, consumer confidence number was the lowest since 2011. And, and you know, the Fed has never hiked into this type of a low uh, consumer confidence without it leading to recession. And that's the bigger concern of where we're coming out of this. I don't think that's a misplaced fear. I think recession is a possibility of a major supply shock hitting the economy. The good news is we have low unemployment. We have relatively strong growth. We have the rebound that we're going to get from Omicron and, and, and COVID. All of that should help. But there's a supply shock. And, you know, why does a supply shock hurt the economy? Well, you know, imagine the old uh, uh, economic example of uh, an island with two factories, right? One does fine with oil at 130 and one just can't make a go of it. A factory shuts down. Productive capacity of the economy is no longer viable at a certain oil price. <clears throat> You're going to have some of that. You're going to have some unemployment related to it. You'll have a decline in discretionary spending. You'll have wages that are have trouble keeping up with inflation. And I, I don't think, Tim, maybe you and I want to have a, a debate about this offline, but I think this is a deglobalizing uh, event here. I think what we're going to have here is the idea that our supply chains are not secure, that too much of them I, I agree. are behind we, enemy lines, so to no speak, debate. right now. I think what's going to happen is, and I'm, I'm stealing this from Ron Insana, who was very eloquent this afternoon on our air, when he said you had supply chains that were organized for efficiency mm -hmm. and not for, for efficiency and not for security. And I think we're going to start to reorganize for security, and that right. means higher prices. Yep. We've already moved in that direction in terms of trying to, to sure. onshore things, right? And, of course, all of that means higher costs. Uh, maybe in the long run, you reap efficiencies, Jeff Mills. But in the short term, all of the disruptions and the, the hiccups along the way that Steve had mentioned, and then on top of it, in the longer run, onshoring things and making sure that supply chain is secure, that's all higher costs to the consumer. Yeah, it certainly is. And I think Steve touched on some of the, the really important points. I mean, real incomes are being pressured. Spending's going to be pressured. I mean, maybe if you want to look at a silver lining, you think that, okay, core goods inflation may actually still come down because you've had rising inventories. Maybe you have some demand destruction from the economy slowing down. You know, this isn't the 1970s. Our economy is, you know, sort of less energy intensive, more efficient, uh, things of that nature. So maybe there's some sort of buffer built in there. But long term, you're absolutely right. I think this deglobalization, this decentralization, it's going to lead to problems, but then also opportunities for certain companies. <clears throat> you know, we've been buying applied materials on the way down mm -hmm. because we think as the semiconductor supply chain gets decentralized, companies that supply equipment, maintenance equipment, they're likely to do better. You think about an Intel versus a Taiwan semi sort of pair trade. Maybe this is good for Intel. Um, so there are, there are areas of the market you can look to try to play this, and this will materialize over time. Melissa, 
Yes, Steve. Can I end this lousy week on at least one perhaps naive, upbeat Absolutely. idea? Which is if this works, if hitting the red economic button and cutting mm -hmm. Russia off works and brings Russia back into normal civil society, we might have sent a message to the next tyrant not to do this. It it's going to require the U.S. people, the European, Western people to uh, stomach a bunch of pain here. But the idea of global uh, financial and technological integration, I'd say it hangs by a thread now, but it's still connected. It's still out there. If we can bring Russia to its senses through these economic uh, sanctions, uh, we might still have a future here when it comes to the globalized world. Bringing it to its senses, though, in your view, and you're the expert here in Russia, is bringing Putin to his <clears throat> knees. Yeah. And I that's, think that's that, a difficult yeah. uh, thing to think about right now. Come on. I was trying to end on a I decent know, note here, I Melissa. know, but you know me. <clears throat> I know. So, you have anyway, to throw cold Steve, water on fun, no. <laughs> Steve, good to see you. Thanks, and we'll you see too. you soon, by the way, because uh, speaking of the Fed economy and inflation, you can catch our special CNBC program tonight, 6 p.m. Eastern, the Fed decision hosted by Steve Leisman and Tyler Matheson. That is tonight, 6 p.m. Coming up, home builders getting hammered this week. So is this the perfect time to build a position? We'll break down the stocks next and later. This blue chip name inching higher. It's our chart of the week that trade and more when Fast Money returns. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Take a look at shares of J.P. Morgan. The stock dropping over 2% today. Bloomberg reporting that J.P.M. is the biggest counterparty to the nickel trades of the Chinese tycoon caught in that huge short squeeze. It underperformed its peers and the market today. Dan, we've been talking about this in terms of contagion and in terms of risk held in portfolios that we don't know about. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think this is probably the first of many. And Tim has mentioned this on numerous occasions over the last couple of weeks. It's kind of like the crisis playbook. We know that these banks are going to trickle out the information as they get it. They're not going to get too far in front of it. So I would expect more news like this uh, among in the credit space, uh, in the commodity space, in the um, FX space, and, and obviously, you know, in equities. We're going to see some major funds blow up also. I think in, in the precious metal space, too, this is a, a place where you have a rabid following. And, and I think, you know, uranium, gold, platinum, uh, I think they're going to continue to squeeze where they can. All right. Uh, let's get to home builders here. The ETF, the XHB, just wrapping up another week of losses. That's 10 straight for the builders. XHB now down nearly 22 percent this year. Now, next week's a big one for the sector. March's home builder sentiment. Housing starts, earnings from Lennar. Um, Steve, you've been in this space. I'm not in the space now. Yeah. And, and usually you buy home builders into a rising rate environment because rates are usually rising for a good reason. I don't think they're rising for a good reason now. 
growth is slowing. I think you want to avoid the space. I think it's going to be a value trap because they look cheap on a forward P.E., but I think they're going to lock a lot of people up as the recession comes. How about the notion, though, that inventory was already so tight before all of this, Jeff, and that condition still exists, so shouldn't that help the builders? Yeah, I, I think that's the good, right? The demand story is still in place. I think we're something like 5 million homes short in the U.S. And I also think there is some dynamic that everything that's going on maybe actually makes rates kind of stay where they are. So we've seen this big romp in mortgage rates. Maybe that stops. So affordability is, is at least helped a little bit. But I, I'm actually building a home myself, my wife and I currently. So I'm, I'm experiencing this firsthand. I had a talk with my builder today. Um, shout out Chris Pinto. He's a big Fast Money fan. But That's we talked about copper, lumber, right steel, there, fuel for trucking. <laughs> That's what I'm trying for. I'm, I'm no dummy. But he, he talked about all sorts of different things. And, you know, just one example. It's anecdotal. But this chip found in a lighting fixture, it used to cost 23 cents. It costs over $3 now. You're also wow. starting to see price escalations in these construction contracts. So people who are locked in at certain prices, there are escalation clauses. So now the builders are charging them more to try to protect their margins. So deals can actually blow up. So that can be problematic. I know Steve mentioned valuations. For me, maybe that's the tiebreaker. You have a name like uh, like DHI trading at five times forward. You'd be a little bit patient here. It's probably a pretty good value, but they're dealing with issues at the moment. Yeah, look, I'm disappointed Jeff's not slinging a hammer around by himself and doing this. Um, but if you look at the HHB real quick under the hood inside baseball here, it's not really home builders, folks. You know, Whirlpool, uh, Owens Corning is the largest name. William Sonoma is a top five name. You've got basically two home builders in the top uh, seven or eight positions. It doesn't mean that they're not m- making it up. But I think a lot of the weakness here is in some of these consumer-based names that are related around the home trade. And, and Lowe's and Home Depot also, in fact, they've fallen so much that they're not as big as weightings as they used to be. All right. Up next, we will dig into our chart of the week. Well, that was a clue. The name in the trade straight ahead. But first, before we had to break, a quick programming note. There is a new CNBC afternoon lineup that starts Monday. Sarah Eisen will host Closing Bell at 3 p.m. Eastern. And you can check out Scott Wapner's new show, Closing Bell Overtime, 4 p.m. Meantime, much more Fast and 2. Welcome back to Fast. It's time for our chart of the week. Check out shares of Caterpillar flat today, but up nearly 10% for the week. Jeff Mills, do you like Cat? Yeah, it's interesting. I sent a couple of charts in. I don't know if we have them, but two points. So if you look at Cat versus inflation, right, people talk about it being an inflation hedge. And relative to the market, it tends to outperform when inflation is going up. So you think, okay, that's a pretty good situation for what we're in right now. Similarly, with economic growth, it tends to move with economic growth relative to the broad market. The problem is I think we're heading into an environment where economic growth slows as inflation stays high. So what's the signal? What's the noise? I think inflation is the noise. I think economic growth is the signal. And relative to the market, it probably trades with slowing economic growth. And the other thing uh, also is we have that infrastructure deal that no one has been talking about. That got lost in the weeds. $1 trillion infrastructure deal. There's a lot of bridges, a lot of tunnels in there. It's probably about $40 billion, and CAT will probably be the recipient of a lot of those funds. Probably see those things coming in probably spring to summer. All right. Final trade time. Let's go around the horn. Jeff Mills. Talked about it earlier. Applied materials play on decentralization. We continue to buy it on the way down. Dan Nathan. Yeah, Mel, and that cat, I mean, you said 10% this week. It's up 20% in a month. I'd be fading that here near term. Tim. 
Mel, shame on you. That song, Let It Go, in my brain. CarMax also on my brain. Omnichannel rollout, I think this is one you stay with. Steve Grasso. If we're going to see a rally or a bounce off of these near-term lows, I think the first thing that will be bought is those large-cap safety plays. Apple is in focus. All right. That does it for us here on Fast Money. Have a great weekend, but don't go anywhere. Options Action's up next. Away. podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.